0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and chips and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. And here in the studio with me is my partner, Ravinder, looking lovely as always. So, Ravinder, say hello to everyone, share your special insight for the day, and please tell everyone how they can learn more about our show.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a truly fascinating show uh, planned today, so uh, I think everyone's going to learn quite a bit, Um, so definitely stay tuned. Um, If you want to learn more about the show, just go to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. You can get to see you now. I should calculate this how many years is it 15 years of archives there so there's plenty of material if you want to just catch up refresh it's a really a fast way to get extra information because you don't have to go read all the books yourself. So it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. So that's at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. Um, any important information that, that gets given out on the air, I will post it up there on Facebook.
0: All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss the chasm between our sciences and ethical concerns as they guide our public policies. We have discussed on this show the lack of ethical guidelines for matters such as genetic engineering, artificial intelligence, the use of machine learning for manipulation purposes, and so forth. But there are many other areas where science has reached a capability that the world is not prepared to deal with and or are ignorant of the possible ramifications given the deployment of some of these technologies. Given that is the case, what are we to do? An article in New Scientist outlined the top 10 ethical questions in science. They were identified as one, should we give our animals rights? Two, should we edit our children's genomes? Three, should we make everyone normal Four. should we abandon privacy online 5 should we give robots the right to kill 6 should we let synthetic life forms loose 7 should we geoengineer the planet 8 should we impose population controls 9 should we colonize other planets And ten, should we just stop doing science? Now, some of you are no doubt at least a little surprised by some of the items in this list. But think about this list for a moment more. Is science going too far? Should there be a moratorium on science until the world catches up? Would the world catch up if there were such a thing? I mean... The new scientist publication listed what they perceive as the top 10, but there are many other issues. How about key AI technologies that have questionable benefits or rather extensive drawbacks such as deep fake face swapping technology and Neuralink which aims to improve brain-machine interfaces. How about cloning or in vitro designer babies? Indeed Many old ones are still unsettled, like animal testing. In other words, as science moves forward, society seems to fall back. How are we to fix this? Bottom line, we almost become more aware and more involved. Some progress over issues of the past has gained traction only because people became involved and began championing causes such as with PETA and animal rights. That said, however, where are the organized public groups intent on pushing the ethical use of science? How many of us even understand the issues? How about matters such as fusion energy? What do we know about that? How about weapons and military R&D? What do we know about that? And there is so much more to attend to. I think we need a public forum where these matters are openly discussed and an action group that involves our Congress. I don't see how else we can get a handle on all of these issues before the issues themselves have us in the frying pan. Those are my thoughts. I always welcome yours. What about you, Ravinder?
1: I think you bring up some amazing points there. There are things that we simply don't think about. I think there is a general push just to advance science as far as you can. The idea is always that it's supposed to make life easier for everybody. But as you go through the list that you just went through, you can see, hang on, not necessarily. Um, There are some really scary issues in there. And to my knowledge, there isn't anybody looking at them. I totally agree. You need a we, we all need to be thinking about the ethics behind it. There should be committees. There should be something, someone uh, looking into this. And occasionally you'll get these certain areas, like with Peter and animal rights, you'll get certain people that get very much involved and they push and push and push. But the rest of the world looks away because it's convenient. So I think there is a... Warning in there to all of us, don't just fall for the convenience. You know, Peter has worked for, uh, what, 40 years mm-hmm. and you see how far they've gone or they haven't gone. You just take a look at the, yeah, I'm not going to go down the vegan train today, um, but you you get the point. There There is a great deal of work there and trying to keep people awake and alert and paying attention is really challenging. I think it's up to all of us to try to do our bit and don't just switch off from it thinking that somebody else is going to handle the problem. There are some serious problems coming down the pipeline.
0: Yeah, I I honestly think we need a public forum. I mean, maybe it's a special television program, an hour a week. I'm I'm not sure what it is, where you bring scientists in and, and you literally discuss each of these issues and try and, you know, build a platform, not just that, you know, gives rise to understanding... And I think that's critical, because uh, there seems to be a great deal of apathy out there, um, but but also make some positive suggestions about where we're going and and how we can curb situations before they become uh, chaotic or crisis in nature. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you. <clears throat> While well, paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last show featured Professor Katherine Sanderson, and we discussed her work in books, Why We Act. Great read, important read, um, and I highly recommend it. Brian wrote, tough stuff to consider and more challenging to act upon for sure. Kind of two hurdles to overcome at least. One to take action action, and the other to take appropriate action. Totally agree, Brian. Mike wrote, another excellent program, The Consciousness to Act. Yes, I think I would have. Also, the experiments of Ellen Langer give us a glimpse of the power we have within. Moving on, Tracy wrote, I listened to your talk program on my daily hikes. I noticed immediately I had the energy to move faster and go for longer hikes. I started craving more fruits and vegetables. I also noticed I feel happier. There's a huge difference in my attitude. I listen every day and started to notice a difference within two weeks. And Jonathan wrote, I want to thank you for your longtime service offering your inner talk programs. They have been a key part of my personal wellness approach for over 25 years. Just feeling the urge to send along my appreciation As I know, this element has played a key role in my current mindset and circumstances. Many, many thanks. Well, thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate that, don't we, Ravinder? We do. Now to today's show, The Future of Fusion Energy with Dr. Jason Parisi, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, and Dr. Justin Ball. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Justin Ball is an American scientist studying theoretical plasma physics and nuclear f- fusion energy. He works at the Swiss Plasma Center, a fusion laboratory in Switzerland, where he researches turbulence to tokamak plasmas. Justin holds a master's degree in nuclear engineering from MIT and a PhD in theoretical physics from the University of Oxford. He has a broad interest in all things nuclear having previously worked at a nuclear power plant, a nuclear Navy research laboratory, and a nuclear weapons laboratory. Now, Jason is a theoretical physicist studying turbulence in fusion plasmas at the Colham Center for Fusion Energy, a fusion laboratory in the UK. He obtained his PhD from the University of Oxford and his undergraduate degree from Yale University. As well as fusion energy, Jason also has interest in general relativity and cosmology. So on that, let's get them in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Jason Parisi and Dr. Justin Ball.
2: Hi, Alden. It's uh, great to be here.
0: Good to have you. thanks for having us. Indeed, my pleasure. I love your book, by the way. I think it's a very important subject. But before we get into that, We like to learn three things from our guests on this show. What is the message? Who is the messenger? And, of course, how do we use the information? To that end, please share with us what you're passionate about and why. And let's begin with you, Jason.
3: Wow. Uh, So I'm uh, really passionate about understanding um, why things work. Uh, And in this specific case, uh, nuclear fusion energy, um, it's... Basically, as I'm sure we'll talk about, it's a, it's a way of um, uh, replicating what happens in stars, um, and we can use that, I think, as a way to um, improve the human condition. So it's a combination of um, really fascinating physics, uh, as well as having what I think is a, um, a very socially useful goal. So that gets me out of bed in the morning.
0: Well, how do you answer that question, Justin? Justin?
2: Um, so, so my passion is, is energy, uh, sustainable energy in particular. Um, you know, I think, I think most people think of energy as something that you, you know, pay your electrical utility for, but I think that it's really a much more fundamental thing than, than some people realize really energy is, is the driving force that quite literally powers life. And really at the heart of it, energy enables. Us to accomplish things that we want. and so you know, from you know running a laptop computer to traveling around the globe to even accomplishing really conceptual things like um, you know electronic security or something, it all of these things fundamentally come down to energy, and that's you know how we achieve what we want. And so I think that if you make progress in energy, um you can really change what is possible
0: in the world sounds exciting okay you both heard today's spotlight so beginning with you justin first this time what have i got wrong
2: um what have you got wrong well so i think i think i generally agree with the overall premise of of science is not uniformly you know automatically a force for good in the world really Science enables us to develop capabilities. Um, it's a uh, in the in the terminology of of the book, we call it a double-edged sword, where it can have great promise, but also um, you know cause problems. And so, it's really important that that scientists engage the broader the broader public on these matters because everyone has a stake in it. And so, I think the thing that I would I would maybe push back against is I think having you know some something something so concrete like a, a tv show or something is maybe is maybe a bit restrictive and that we should really seek to engage the broader public in, in in as many ways as possible i think that fundamentally democracy is the way that people have say over what science is pursued and what limits should be there and you know it's it's responsible it's, it's a responsibility of the scientist to communicate um, what can be very complex topics, so that people can understand and judge for themselves.
0: Yeah, that's that's great, and I and I share your your view. Um, my suggestion about television shows just simply because there's so much apathy when it comes to science. When you're talking to lay people, somehow you need to entertain them. It seems to me to get in. It, it, to open the minds. But I could be totally wrong And, and the idea of the, you know, democratic, more democratic forum, open forums. I, I like that too, but I'm not sure there are too many scientists who would take the time to do that on a regular basis. I hope you are two of them that would. All right. Uh, back to you, Jason.
3: What did I get wrong? Huh. Uh, I guess a few points. I would say, one, um, I completely agree that I think we need to um, make not just, um, you know, like a a regular discussion of um, the applications of science to um, our society, a regular thing, but I I think we actually need to instill um, discussion of these things as culture. And I think the way you do that is you engage people and you empower them and and you give them the power to actually have control over big decisions that are made through some kind of democratic process as justin said i think something i would add is an additional question on top of what you proposed is um can the how easy is it to actually control the uh, trajectory of science because if we look back historically um there are so many actors doing science it's not clear how easy it is to actually control it and would that ever be counterproductive um, I, I think um, for example if you just look at the um, the development of I think one of the most uh, glaring examples of, of uh, the double-edged sword nature of science is the nuclear weapons program especially during World War II um, some scientists in the 1930s um, when they realized just how Uh, dangerous this idea was lots of them tried to stop publishing stop talking about it but the idea still came out um and my my final point would be um i think there's a big difference between scientists who i think generally are actually just very motivated by um technical problems i i've often found scientists aren't so interested in the uh the social applications of their research, as you might always think, um, and the the kind of people, the technologists, I would say, um, who actually apply the scientific breakthroughs to the technologies that then impact um, the way it's applied. So I, I think there are lots of layers to, to this question.
0: And, and I don't think you would ever stop science. I, I just have no faith in that. So I do believe that... We just need to communicate more, uh, and people need to be more aware and more concerned. I appreciate your feedback, both of you. All right. I'm going to leave it up to you as to who answers the questions as we go along now because, I mean, you're, you're both experts, but you also have your own expertise, and you've got a little bit of experience doing this. So, you know, here's the first and foremost question why should anybody even care about fusion energy
2: because it has the the power to improve their lives right um i mean in my view climate change is one of the you know the most uh, fundamental challenges of of our times um and sustainable energy is achieving sustainable energy is is the the ultimate solution and uh un- the unfortunate fact is there's not actually as many options as we like there to believe and so you know you have you have renewables you have nuclear nuclear fission the the normal nuclear power plants you hear about and then you have fusion and so so really um if you if you care about preserving the environment and you care about uh you know leaving the world a better place um, fusion is, is one of the, the main main options that, that you should care about. All
0: right, let me, let me take that a little in fact, let's back up some. Uh, what is the difference for our lay audience between fusion and fission
3: energy? So fission is basically uh, all nuclear power that we generate now is generated by fission. And it's the process whereby you take a very heavy radioactive um, atom, say, for example, uh, uranium or plutonium, um, and you fire something at it, like a neutron, and it will split into multiple smaller parts. And because of the intricacies of nuclear physics, um, that will often release a lot of energy. Uh, And the problem is, is that um, when that happens, you can create a chain reaction and you get a runaway reaction like you would see in a nuclear weapon. So think of fission as taking very large things and making them into smaller things. Um, Fusion is kind of the opposite. And it's basically what happens in every single star um, in the universe, which is you take the lightest possible atoms. So you'd usually take something like hydrogen or helium. uh, And because it's really, really hot, inside a star um, these atoms can get really close and join and transmute if you like into something heavier Uh, and also because of the the intricacies of nuclear physics uh, it makes it it releases energy and so you could use that for energy generation so fission is what we already have and fusion is what we would like
2: to have so so building on what jason says i think i think kind of the differences between fission and fusion can be but be well summarized by a couple of sentences, excuse me, specifically that the fusion energy, so the the process that powers the sun, is difficult to start, but it's easy to stop. And So because it's difficult to get the reactions going, because you basically need the temperatures of the sun, um, it's very technically difficult to even build a power plant in the first place. Fission, so the the normal nuclear power we're used to, um, it's easy to start. It kind of all you have to do is pile pile together enough uranium and it'll it'll naturally happen. However, it's difficult to stop. so fusion difficult to start, easy to stop, fission, easy to start, difficult to stop and so that's the, that's the reason why um you know we hear a lot about safety concerns in in current nuclear power plants. It's because the reactions are difficult to stop. You can't turn them off at the flip of the switch.
0: All right what ethical questions should I be asking about fusion energy?
3: You should be asking um, how easy it would be to use um, a fusion reactor um, to basically create um, um, fissile material, which is the kind of stuff that you could use in a nuclear weapon. Um, So the point is in many fusion reactors or, proposed fusion reactors um, you can you can get uh, a lot of neutrons and that means if you put the right kind of material in there you can breed fissile material Um, and so it turns out it's really not a huge problem uh, and with the right kind of monitoring you can um, you can you can stop it from being used in a bad way but that's one of the main questions i would ask
0: all right well There are devil's advocate views that have to do with fusion energy. Dr. Daniel Jaspe, formerly um, principal research physicist at the Princeton Plasma Physics Lab, as a case in point, is not fond of fusion reactors. Uh, Why would he be uh, discouraging the development of fusion energy?
2: So, so I'm, I'm familiar with, with Daniel. He's, he's a, a very good physicist at, um, at Princeton Plasma Physics Lab and he's actually worked on fusion for, for 25 years or so. Um, but the problems that he points out, I definitely uh, agree, and I think Jason does as well, that they are serious problems. But, but we as a community, so the, the worldwide fusion community, think that they're solvable. Um, you know, nobody is claiming that fusion fusion is easy. Fusion is is an incredibly difficult problem. Um, but you know, fundamentally, we believe that it's it's tackleable. And you know, humans, you know, just in the past you know, 15, 20 years, you know, we've accomplished accomplished amazing things. And uh, when confronted with a, a problem as, as compelling as climate change, I think that uh, that uh, a lot can be overcome.
0: So essentially, if I understand you correctly, you're saying uh, the reward makes the risk worthwhile.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so the the reward is definitely is definitely compelling, right? unlimited, clean, um, safe safe energy is is, is ultimately the reward, uh, and given that reward, um, it's it's definitely. Definitely makes sense to invest a significant amount of resources. I think I think we, as a as a as a worldwide community, are systematically underfunding sustainable energy research. So renewables, nuclear, normal nuclear power, and fusion should all should all be getting be getting uh, more more effort.
0: All right, we have a hard break in front of us. When we come back, I, I'm going to ask you to explain why fusion energy would be safer than. Uh, fission energy, because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of concern in the public about building nuclear reactors. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Jason Parisi. Am I saying that correctly, Jason?
3: at uh, Parisi. Yeah, that's great.
0: Parisi. Okay. We're speaking with nice. Dr. Jason Parisi and Dr. Justin Ball about their work and book, *The Future of Fusion Energy*. It is a great read, and it's designed for the lay person to understand what the questions are that we should be looking at and what the development is and why it's important that we be aware of it. I highly recommend it to everyone. Please do stay tuned. We'll be right
4: back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Many dogs and cats spend endless days indoors staring at the wall, living for the moment when you will come home and tell them you love them, take them out, and make a fuss over them. Dogs and cats need physical exercise and mental stimulation, things to do and think about in order to be healthy and happy. Please set time aside for them and give them a real life and real love. For more information, please contact People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals at 757-622-PETA or helpinganimals.com. That's helpinganimals.com. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it, until I used Inner Talk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InterTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to intertalk.com.
0: People everywhere are getting to know Earthly Suds Company. The small batch soap artisans on the coast of Maine. Jennifer Rowland, you founded Earthly Suds 13 years ago. What makes your soap different and better than soap from a grocery store?
1: Okay, so our soaps are made of natural ingredients like olive oil, coconut oil, and shea butter, just to name a few. Unlike commercially made soaps, ours don't contain any waxes, detergents, parabens, or sodium lauryl sulfates.
0: The earthlysuds.com soaps are beautiful to look at, too. What are some of your most popular?
1: Our goat milk bars called Island Sunrise and Raspberry and Cream are two of the favorites for the ladies, while Northern Woods is probably our most popular one for men.
0: So how easy is it to order on EarthlySuds.com?
1: It's very easy. Just visit our website, www.EarthlySuds.com, and also like us on Facebook to keep up with our event schedule for craft shows we'll be attending. Visit
0: now, EarthlySuds.com. Because good soap doesn't have to be boring.
4: A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture and this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotch exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldentaylor.com backslash gotcha. The Great Courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long.
0: By listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you could learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching excellence. Hi, this is Bill Maher. I can find humor in almost anything, but one thing I never laugh
1: about is cruelty to animals. If you don't get the joke either, right? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, 501 Front Street, Norfolk, Virginia, 23510.
3: Hi, I'm Peter Singer. Many people would like to help those in great need in developing countries, but they don't really know whether a donation will do good. They wonder if the money will get to the people who need it. Now you can find the best organizations by going to www.thelifeyoucansave.org and clicking on Where to Donate. The life you can save doesn't take any money from the organizations it recommends. It's simply trying to do the best it
1: can. Thank you.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Jason Parisi and Dr. Justin Ball about their work and book, The Future of Fusion Energy. All right. Every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology is a hobby of mine, and it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Now, your chosen music, gentlemen, is Neon Pattern Drum by John Hopkins. So please tell us, why is this music important to you? And more importantly,
3: how does it inform us about who you are? So this particular track um, is a piece on uh, John Hopkins' uh, recent album, Singularity, uh, and so the thing i love about this album and the, the general ethos of his music in general is that um it it emphasizes just doing one thing which is listening to the music uh the music is uh when you first l- listen to it it sounds quite bland and that, like there's not much going on but each time you listen to it you discover something new about it um so i i really like the message that you know you can focus on one thing um, and the more you think about it, uh, the more you learn. And there's a, you know, there's a there's a lot to learn from seemingly simple things.
0: That's great. I like that. All right. Listen, um, I told you before the break, I was going to ask you about the difference between fusion and fission. And then I, I assume that the answer is in the sentence. One is easier to stop than the other. But I'm also aware that there, you know, are some um, drawbacks other than the fact that it's easy to stop. I believe uh, uh, tritium is a fuel that's used and uh, it's not found in nature and it must be replenished by the reactor itself. Um, Please flesh out for us, if you will, as honestly as you can.
3: Absolutely. There are going to so, be dangers
0: in anything, but what what makes one much more safe than the other?
2: Yeah. So the the fuel cycle for fusion is is a bit intricate. So the sun the sun is simple. The sun takes um, normal hydrogen. So the normal hydrogen is just a single proton, and it slams them together and and uses them to 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 form helium. So you're again combining smaller atoms hydrogen to form a bigger one on earth. This looks completely impossible. Basically, um, the probability of, of two protons when they slam together actually sticking is just, um, uh, just enormously small. And so we have to be a bit more clever. And so what we do is use two isotopes of hydrogen. So these are instead of just a single proton, it's a a proton and a neutron. So that's called deuterium. And then there's a single proton with two neutrons. And so that's called tritium but they're basically uh, special types of hydrogen um, and deuterium exists in nature you have about two tablespoons of deuterium in your body um, currently and so you know we can just uh, go to the oceans and, and get deuterium and use that for fuel tritium however is even more exotic tritium is radioactive uh, which you know causes causes its own problems but because it's radioactive that means it disintegrates so it, it disappears and it it doesn't exist in nature and so in order to create tritium uh we so we basically have to create tritium on the fly and so the the way you do that is um by using using lithium so lithium you know is used in in cell phone batteries and uh if you if you um, basically surround your fusion reactor with lithium, uh, the the particles that are flying off, the neutrons that are flying off, will will hit the lithium and create tritium. And so you can use this bootstrapping effect to to mean that even though you're fundamentally fusing deuterium and tritium, the overall inputs to a power plant are uh, deuterium and lithium, which both are readily available in nature. And so this is challenging, and this is one of the... uh, the criticisms that that you alluded to earlier by uh, Daniel Jaspi. Um and it's something that is a major area of research and uh, you know a major area of concern for the community. But I think one of the things that's most interesting about fusion is that when we think about a power plant, we tend to think about fuel a lot. Like we, we kind of our first instinct is okay you know coal, um, natural gas. We think about the fuel, but fusion is is so fusion fuel is so energy dense. That it doesn't turn out to actually be um, as big of a consideration as as one might think, so for example um, you know you might you might uh, you you might have in the past used you know a, a kilogram or so of of charcoal in in the course of an evening barbecue right um, if if you replace that charcoal with fusion fuel instead of it being sufficient to you know cook a steak it's sufficient to power. Um, your entire lifelong energy needs and that of your closest 100 friends. And so this incredible energy density of the fuel means that when you think about, you know, mining, pollution from, um, you know, the byproducts, those things, they're just, they're so small in terms of volume and mass that they're actually not not as worrying as as you might think.
0: Okay. Explain something to me, if you will you're using rodeo, well maybe I'm going to say this different understand my background <laughs> I'm trained as a as a psychologist not as a physicist and it's been a hobby of mine but what do you call it a tokamak
2: tokamak yes tokamak it, okay
0: it, it explain change. that to our audience and and how what its role is
3: in generating the energy used in a fusion Um, facility so tokamak is actually it's a kind of um, quasi-acronym it's comes from a a Russian word and it's it basically means toroidal confinement magnetic chamber so let's just take a step back and think about what we're trying to do basically for fusion you need to take a gas and, and heat it up to tens or actually hundreds of millions of degrees Um, And the point is, is it becomes a plasma um, and it has all kinds of properties which make it hard to confine. So a very um, famous physicist called Richard Feynman said confining a fusion plasma is like um, trying to hold jello with elastic bands. So it's very, very hard to do. Um, So what we basically do is you take a gas and you put it inside this thing called a tokamak which is a, imagine just taking a, a standard like doughnut and hollowing it out. So in the middle, there's some space where you can put the gas. Uh, and then what you do is you use very strong magnetic fields to control uh, the shape and to confine the plasma. Uh, and so the tokamak is basically the world's leading concept um, for how you control your fusion plasma, which remember is at, at hundreds of millions of degrees um inside which uh the fusion reactions are happening which you can use to generate energy. Okay.
0: <clears throat> Thank you very much.
3: Now then I guess
0: understanding that I'm looking at everything and I'm saying look we have renewables. Um uh, we have wind, we have solar, we have you know a lot of money going in the direction of developing that moving away from fossil fuels and we have nuclear uh, reactors. W- why do we need fusion?
2: So, so renewables. Basically, basically, there's there's no perfect energy source, and the sustainable energy problem is a hard one. You're very right that we do have we do have renewables, right? The so- solar and wind. the The big outstanding challenge that hasn't been tackled for renewables to really solve the problem on its own. Is uh, large-scale seasonal energy storage, right? The sun isn't always shining, the wind isn't always blowing, um, and so even more importantly, the sun shines a lot less in winter than it does in summer. And so, storing the amount of energy you need to run a society for you know some fraction of you know a couple months is right now is technically impossible. Um, and so, so that's the big concern with renewables. Uh, Fission. Um, I think. I, I think actually, your your intro today is a good is a good lead into this because I think that people have taken a look at at nuclear fission power, so normal uh, nuclear power, and decided that they would rather not. Um, they may not have a choice, uh, you know, as things with with climate get more more severe. But um, you know, because of safety issues, and also I think because of the uh relevance to nuclear weapons people uh society as a whole is very is very cautious about nuclear nuclear fission and so really really all of all of our three energy options renewables uh, fusion and fission have a problem for fusion the problem is it's very scientifically difficult and and enough scientists so far haven't been smart enough to figure out the problem um and so that's you know why jason and i are here
0: one of the things that I was struck by in your book was uh a disclosure you made about uh what what the energy demand that we're we're going to have in the near future. It's increase, I think the factor was well it was astronomical, it was something like I don't want, three by two thousand or something like that. Um translate that into just how much more energy are we going to need than we currently are presently able of of uh, creating in, in you know in a on a global basis? Um, I mean, we have we have brownouts in California now where they're you know shutting down energy because, well, there's an electrical storm coming, and they we can't have any fires and and there are other areas where the demand during the summer, is maybe so high because of air conditioning uh, and cooling that people are given times of days that they should be running their air conditioning and when they shouldn't and and how we constrain the power. So what are we what are we looking at? Get you know, make it real for everybody listening. How much
2: more power are we going to need in the next 25, 50 years? See, I think I think the best estimate is about a factor of, of three or four more. <laughs> Um, I think the important thing to realize is, you know, from from the US or from, from Europe, the perspective is always, you know, we need to do the, the best we can to reduce our demand, um, our, our consumption, basically. But the flip side of that, or the, the side that is less visible to us, is that energy use is really closely connected to general well-being and health and just, you know, standard living. And so, there are billions of people currently in poverty, and denying them an increase of energy uh, is, you know, denying uh, what we consider to be, you know, basic basic human rights. I think, and so even if if the West is successful in curbing um, energy co- consumption, overall global energy demand, um, I think we should still we should still expect to go up. Um, as far as as far as how we how we meet that demand, of course, that's the golden question. You know, we can't we can't burn all of the fossil fuels that that exist in the ground. We need to stop. Um, in terms of renewables, uh, we would need to expand generation incredible uh, by by an enormous amount, right? So I think I think to meet the U.S.'s um, current energy demand, you need billions billions with a B. Of um, of wind turbines, which would, you know, densely packed cover about ten percent of the land area of of the U.S. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is po- impossible, but I'm saying that, you know, rene- uh, wind turbines would be you know a very common sight um, and uh, would play a much a much uh, more visible role in um, in new life.
0: Wind turbines, of course, have got their own accompanying problems, and there is a lot of controversy about them now and a lot of people involved with animals and nature that totally oppose them. So uh, 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 let's let's go back to this. I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, as it happened, on the day they announced two scientists at the University of Utah were successful with cold fusion. That's been many, many moons ago. Um, Fusion energy has been something people have talked about for a very, very long time. What's taken so long to make it available?
3: That's a a great question, and I think something that lots of people have thought hard about. Um, I think I would say there are several factors. Um, The first is that it's just exceedingly hard and so we were starting from a very, very low base. So it kind of started in the 1950s. That's when people people uh, or government started funding fusion research. Um, and now it's 70 years later and we still don't have what's into the grid. Um, so I would say the first point is um, the progress that has been made in terms of how good we are at building a reactor. Um, if you look at that number, which is a certain uh, Parameter of your plasma physics inside this fusion reactor that's actually been increasing, um, or the performance has been increasing faster than Moore's law in terms of how quickly you can double um, the amount of um, processing power at a fixed price, which is kind of seen as the quintessential um, law of you know exponential growth. So actually, we have been doing extremely well, I would say, until about the 2000s. Um, the biggest problem it seemed is about 20 years ago. Um, we run up against some very tough problems uh, in fusion. Um, the first is, uh, actually, I think um, one of the biggest problems is what t- Justin and I work on, which is turbulence in fusion reactors. So it's very hard to contain the heat in the center of the reactor for long enough, and that's because of turbulence. Um, second one is material sciences. Um, the The edge of this... The inside edge of the tokamak that you talked about earlier, um, the amount of heat that goes onto that is extremely high, um, and so we have to develop new materials and new techniques um, to actually make sure that the the tokamak doesn't doesn't um, <clears throat> melt due to the heat. Um, another example would be um, what Justin was talking about in terms of this fuel cycle inside the fusion reactor, where you get um, You uh, you breed lithium um, into tritium Uh, and that's that's very hard from an engineering perspective. And so I would say it just turns out to be a lot harder than you think. Um, And maybe in the past 20 years, not so much progress um, has been made in terms of actually building a reactor. Um, But looking forward in the next five to 10 years, um, there are some very exciting developments that are happening.
2: Um, yeah, to, to build on what Jason said, I think in the in the late '90s things really culminated um, in a device called JET, where where Jason works in the UK, and that was the first, uh, or that was that was a device that produced um, significant amount uh, amounts of fusion energy. So you it, the device took 24 megawatts of power to run and produced 16 megawatts of fusion power. So obviously that's not good enough for a power plant but it's getting, it's getting a lot closer. And so learning all of the lessons um, from that device, which came within, you know, you got 70% of the way to producing net fusion energy. Um, we've now, so for the past, you know, 20 or so years been designing a new device called ITER, which is being built in the south of France. And so this device is an enormous tokamak, an enormous fusion device that has been designed to be the first fusion device in human history to produce net power. Um, so it will generate more fusion power than the electricity needed to, to sustain um, the fuel.
0: When will this device be online?
2: Uh, it's a very ambitious en- endeavor. It was first started by Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev, and it is due to be switched on in a little bit less than five years, so in 2025. Wow.
0: Reagan and Gorbachev. That goes back a few years, doesn't it? The times
2: scale of fusion is uh, best.
0: Assume fusion energy becomes commercially available. Is it going to be privately held? Is it going to be developed by governments? Is it going to be, you know, this is the next, uh, hey, let's go buy this stock as soon as it hits the pink sheets? Or how do you see that?
2: So I think that, um, you know, right now, most progress is being driven by, by governments, by, by governmental funding and universities. But I think uh, even now, so the last five years, there's been quite a explosion of private startup companies on Fusion. And so I think they're sensing that things are getting close enough that, uh, you know, kind of the knowledge base is there and um, it may be possible to now start a private up. Uh, profitable private company based on it. So I think, to be honest, I think the private companies will, will sneak in there and, and ultimately build the power plants and, and, um, and win the race, I guess. But I think it's enabled by all of this, this great science that governments have developed over the years.
0: Okay. Assume I'm sold, and I happen to be. Uh, for our listening audience, what can a non-scientist do to promote the development of fusion energy? How can we get behind you? What do you got in mind there?
3: I, I think actually the, um, uh, as a non-scientist, you have just as much opportunity to shape um, fusion research, at least in the, in the US, um, as a scientist, in that um, fusion is, at the moment, fusion's funding levels are a lot lower than they have historically been. Um, and so even talking to your Uh, your senator or your um, representative um, could have a large impact uh, in terms of um, the type of fusion budget um, that gets passed. So, for example, a fact that we always like to uh, wheel out is that uh, the U.S. spends about twice as much on peanut subsidies each year, or the U.S. government Mm -hmm. does, uh, than it does on fusion research. And so even a small change in popular opinion could actually lead to a very big change um, in outcomes so talking to your representatives about it um, would, would be very very um, helpful
0: get involved once again alright gentlemen we have about uh, 45 seconds I want each of you to take a turn at telling our listening audience how they can learn more about you get your book uh, etc
2: uh, so I mean the the book the future of fusion energy is is available on on Amazon um, as well as well as well as well as other retailers uh, and this you I mean you you mentioned how do you get involved and I think the first step to getting involved is to learn about it on your own um, and come to your own conclusion about fusion energy uh, and then um, once you get a sense of the field that's really uh, where you can take stock of your own particular talents and, and how how best to employ them
0: All right, well, we're out of time. The book, again, The Future of Fusion Energy, it's a great read. It's one I recommend, and it's one I think we all need to be involved in. We all need to be more involved in what's going on in the world around us, um, especially when it comes to the potentials and possibilities that can improve our lives and or um, portend some situation that ethically we'd like to avoid. I want to thank you both for sharing your work and experiences with us, gentlemen. And we wish you the best in your endeavors to come. All right. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, learned something, and I hope you will will join us again next week, same time and same place. Until then, remember, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters.